digging, constantly digging. The noise of the machines is deafening. The scrape of shovels grates on every nerve, and yet, through it, there is hope. There are glimmers. There is faint light peeking through where there was once only darkness. I must hope. I must hold fast. I don't know how long the digging has been happening, and I don't know how much longer it will continue. I can only hope that both answers are not very. I am calling from Elm Lake. Ten. Nine. Eight. I'm still pondering this note that I received in my mailbox. At first I thought it wasn't meant for me, because so much of it is about George. Questions about his mental state, his obsession with starting up a secondary business, and leaving the excavation behind. I was so close to folding it back up to debate later if I should just burn it or if I should give it to Lorraine. That is until I got to the final line hastily scribbled onto the note. The handwriting had gotten sloppier as the note went on until that final line, and specifically, the final word. That was all capital letters, and those six letters made me realize that I wasn't alone in coming up with an important answer. Bunker. When I read the word, I felt my vision dance a bit. A rush of adrenaline hit me. Finally, he was starting to understand, starting to see things in the same way I do. The fact that both Anthony and I have arrived at that word at shockingly similar times has to mean something. What, I don't know, at least not yet. But I'm going to head to his studio and see if we can't maybe put our heads together and get further on this puzzle now that we seem to have the same pieces. Five days. That's how long I've been going to visit George Mooney and Lorraine Powell trying to get them to agree to dig up something that they don't even fully recall being buried. Or at least they don't presently recall it. Any mention of the bunker is countered with mentions of a burger and what George could do with them in a diner of his own. Or they start talking about the cabin, which forces me to have to shake my own head to keep cobwebs from returning. My mind was clouded with stories about the cabin once, 
and I even remember thinking that they would find ways to reclaim the lumber for some future project. But I don't want to let thoughts of the bunker slip away from me. I don't know why it's so crucial. But it has to be. It makes sense, despite making no sense at all. But every day, I go to George and Lorraine. I spend time with them, enjoying tea, company, and trying to convince them that there is something in the ground that's waiting for us. On day three, I almost said someone in the ground but that was clearly just the result of sleep deprivation. I haven't been able to rest well ever since hearing about the bunker. I should apologize. I've been away from the studio for most of the past week. I have had a difficult time sitting down in front of a microphone ever since I stumbled on what I believe to be a monumental truth for reasons I can't really put into words. Maybe that's it. Words have been escaping me, and this is the first time I felt I can actually talk about anything. Or at least talk in a way that I hope people outside of Elm Lake can understand. Please don't think I've only been talking to George and Lorraine this entire time. I've also made a point of visiting with Jorge Sanchez, still working feverishly on his theorems. I thought about mentioning the bunker to him, but he's still focused on talking about the Moon Festival. How next year will be the best we've had yet. I can't bring myself to tell him that after this past festival, he probably won't be allowed to help out. Instead, I let him regale me about how he's planning on changing the color and density of the silvery orb in the sky. That was day three of this week. It wasn't until yesterday that I mentioned the bunker to anyone else, and it was completely by accident. I happened to run into Angus Thorpe as he was chopping firewood. Angus, you don't even have a fireplace, I told him. I know, he said, but I've got to keep chopping. You know, just in case we need to head somewhere. Like a bunker, I joked the word accidentally slipping from my mouth. Angus turned to me, his eyes suddenly dark. I ain't heard nothing about that, he muttered. And it's best if you ain't heard nothing about that neither. He hefted his axe, spit to the ground, and then turned back to the firewood. 
I'm going to keep chopping. You'd best run along, he said. And run along I did. That has stuck with me. Honestly, the fact that I was worried Angus might turn the axe on me has also stuck with me. He's normally so kind and quiet. But with the mention of one word, he became an entirely different person, and I didn't like the look that overtook him. If anything, though, it helped to solidify the importance of the bunker in the grand scheme of whatever's going on. Hang on. I think I hear someone approaching the door. I walked up to the door of the broadcast studio. I've been trying to come back here for almost a week, but the light has always been out. It's almost like Anthony has been avoiding this place for some reason. Whatever's going on, it was strange to see him not here quite so often. I expected to hear him documenting some story about something happening in Elm Lake, but instead there was silence and darkness. Seeing the light today, though, there was comfort to it. I honestly didn't know what mindset he was going to be in when I arrived, but I knew I needed to talk with him. And I knew it needed to be here, in this space that is somehow both inside and outside the rules of whatever is happening within town. It's almost like the act of narration is preventing this space from being altered, which makes little sense, but about as much as most of the other events within this town. I was still ten feet away from the studio when the door opened. Anthony looked at me, dark circles under his eyes, but a relieved smile on his face. He looks like hell. He clearly hasn't slept well recently. He ushers me in and lets me choose where to sit, which is a little silly since there's only one chair in the studio right now. I look down at the note clutched in my hand still, and the feverish scribblings ending with Bunker. Before I can say anything, he tells me all about his experience with Angus. And my blood runs cold. I relay everything about my encounter with Angus to Jenny. I don't know why, it just spills out. At the end of the story, I'm short of breath and can almost feel tears pushing for release. I blink them away and look up at her. She looks back at me, her own eyes cloudy, her mouth a determined line. After a moment, I see that she's holding my notes, and I start to tell her about my efforts to convince George and Lorraine that they need to start digging again. That under the earth there's a hidden bunker buried away from us. I tell her how they're resistant to the mere idea, and how talk of a cabin dominates the conversations. She asks me if it's the fictional cabin, and I can only nod slowly. 
a silence hangs in the air between us. Then, after what felt like forever, Jenny tells me that she's had better luck, and that she's gotten George and Lorraine to agree to dig. They start tomorrow, and she'd like to meet me for breakfast. The digging is starting again, or is it starting for the first time? The hope is rising again, even as the dirt is lowering. I miss knitting. I miss making clothes. I miss people. But hopefully not for much longer. Three. Two. I can hear the machine starting up, prepared to carve a hole into the ground. I sit on a nearby hill, bag of crisps in one hand, looking down at the scurrying crew. I see George and Lorraine, and I wonder if they can see me, if they even know I'm here. Part of me feels drawn to their machinery. And part of me wants to run, screaming, from Elm Lake. Those opposites keep me rooted in place, watching. As the machine starts, I hear the rumbling engine. I simply sit. Something is coming. Something big. Something dark and something that could be far more dangerous than anyone in this town is ready to deal with. I look down at my bag of crisps, then back up at the excavator carving its first path. Whatever is coming, it will find me here. I simply have to stay to see if it will acknowledge or ignore me. Until that time, I will be waiting. Elm Lake is waiting. Calling from Elm Lake, episode 15, Below, was written and produced by Sean Monahan. The voice of Elm Lake is Sean Monahan. The voice of Jenny Fowler is Emma Sala. The voice of Marcus Grant is Mick Reyna. The voice of The Signal is Maddie Stewart. Opening and closing theme is written and performed by Sean Monahan. All other music written and performed by Matt McInnes. Find out more at machinismusic.com. You can find us on both Twitter and Facebook for a little social media strangeness. 
You can also find us on TikTok as we create visuals to help round out the world of Elm Lake. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please leave a rating and review on whichever podcasting app you found our feed. Doing so could help bring new listeners to the call of Elm Lake. If you'd like to support us as we unfold this story, add new voices, and just generally continue to explore this particular creative process, you can do so at www.patreon.com slash calling from Elm Lake. Your support will help us continue to grow and expand on the story, and hopefully be able to add even more content within the universe of Elm Lake. Below is not the opposite of above. As a matter of fact, the two work in tandem, doing their best to make sure Between has a comfortable place to land.